Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. Hope you're well. I'm okay, thanks. At this very moment, though, I'm struggling. I'm unsure as to what is going on. I'll try and explain it to you. I think somewhere in the foam bit of my microphone, there is a dog hair from Archer, the German Shepherd. It's stuck somewhere, and when I'm sitting here at the microphone, it's in my peripheral vision. I can see it. It's wobbling around to the to the sound of my voice. However, when I move back from the microphone, I can't find it. It's just nowhere. I don't know what it is, whether it's an invisible hair. The other thing I'm thinking of is that it could be in my eye. And that makes me go like, because I hate the idea of, of something being in my eye. It's gross. Last week, I got a fly in my eye. I was cycling along, and this fly had the whole fucking sky everywhere, like the whole of the sky he's got to fly along in. But no, he has to fly into my eye. And I was trying to cycle along a busy road doing that weird blinking thing that you're doing. And then I rubbed my eye and then it was even more blinky. So I had to sort of pull in and eventually like scrape fly guts because there was nothing left of the fly at that point out of my eye and onto my finger. And it was only like, I don't know, two thirds of the fly. So my eye consumed the rest of the fly and it's like horrible fucking fly asshole. So I'm hoping that this thing is in the foam and I just can't see it. But if it's in my eye, I could possibly freak out because, you know, it could travel around the back of my eye then and and go into my somewhere that's connected to your eye and then into my brain and just fester there. And then one day I'll wake up and I won't be able to say words or the words will just come out backwards or wrong or something like that. It's my big fear. It really is. But anyway, aside from that, I'm okay. I hope you're well, because it has been, well, you might just say it's been a reasonably good week for us in terms of football, right? I mean, we've had worse. After the interlow, we we beat Watford 3-0. That was good. Clean sheet away from home. It's pretty good. Moved us back into second place in the table. And then, of course, we had this game against uh, Bayern Munich on Tuesday in the Champions League. And Bayern Munich, you know, they're good. They're quite good at football. They seem to have practiced together more than once. Hmm. There was a modicum of understanding between them, you might say. And they have been very, very good, obviously, winning the Bundesliga for the last, I don't know, couple of decades, apart from when Klopp did it. There's the, there's the hair. I can't see it. Where the fuck is it? God damn it. Anyway, Bayern Munich, they were good. They were good. Came into this game on the back of 12 straight wins. We weren't quite so in form as that. On our European form, well, you know, it's been it's been shit. But football is funny, right? You just don't know what's going to happen. And then we won. And it was great. So we're all happy. And that's the end of this week's Arscast. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you on the next one. Should probably go a bit more in depth than that, right? I think we will. It was a, a fantastic win, and a win that I hope sparks something in the team, particularly on the back of the Manchester United one as well, because those are two difficult opponents, scored five goals, conceded none, played very, very well in both games, and played very, very well in different ways. In the United game, we went out uh, like a, uh, like a, what did we go out like? I don't know. I was going to say a ton of bricks. That's not what we went out like. We started very, very brightly. I think I'll say that rather than try and find some kind of simile.
or metaphor for what we did. We, we played very well in the early stages of the game, bossed the first half completely, scored three goals early, and then sat on it and, and, uh, and saw out the second half very well. This time we had to withstand Bayern Munich, who, who liked to pass the ball around. They do. I mean, they pass it and they pass it and they pass it from one side and to another and then they keep it and they pass it and they've got some good players, some tricky players. That Douglas Costa, Douglas is not exactly the name I would associate with a with a top footballer, but he was really good and he was dangerous. And, you know, when you've got Lewandowski and when you've got Muller and when you've got Thiago and when you've got all the guys that they have, you really have to be 100% switched on. And for the most part, we were. There were a couple of moments, of course, where things didn't quite go as well as we, we would have liked. That early moment in the, like the 30 seconds in, and Lewandowski picks up the ball and goes charging towards our area. And you're thinking, just, just kick him, kick him, kick him, kick him now, kick him now, kick him now. It's getting too late. Now you can't kick him. He's in the area. Someone stop. Whew. Okay. That would have made our start very, very difficult indeed. Had we, you know, done an Arsenal there and conceded so early. But we grew into the game. We defended very well from front to back, I thought, but particularly the back. Petr Cech, outstanding. What a great game he had. Center halves were great. Full backs, it's amazing. Nacho Monreal, I love him. He's brilliant. It's just fantastic to watch at the moment. Hector Bellerin, oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm in any way happy that Matthew Debussy got injured because I wouldn't wish that on an Arsenal player. Not really. Certainly none of the ones in this team, anyway. <clears throat> but my point is this, that without the injuries, Hector Bellerin probably would have gone on loan last season. True. He was thinking about going on loan. The club were thinking about letting him go on loan because we had Debussy. We just signed for £12 million from Newcastle. The replacement for Bakary Sanya, Callum Chambers, despite the way his season sort of finished, he'd started it quite brightly and had played relatively well at right back. So if Debushi hadn't turned his ankle that time and then been pushed into the advertising hoardings by that snide Stoke guy, Arnautovic, and dislocated his shoulder, you know, it might have been very... We might not have Hector now. Or Hector's career would not have been as advanced. And the, the fortuitousness of that or the timeliness of that, you know, in, in some ways, you've got to give the guy absolute credit for taking his chance the way that he did when he was given the opportunity in the team. But it's not always that a player is given that opportunity. The best laid plans of any football manager can be laid bare by, by injury or suspension. And a guy that you think perhaps isn't going to have an impact in the team, all of a sudden he becomes a crucial part of it. I mean, we've seen it twice now. Uh, with Coquelin and Hector Bellerin. But he was just brilliant. Where did he get that pace from in the 93rd minute? A, the awareness. B, the fact that at that stage of the game, you could forgive him for being a little reticent or, or being on his heels, making sure that he defended well. But no, he was on his toes, saw that the pass was left a bit short. He zoomed in, pushed it past the defender, zoomed past the defender. He was like... And then crosses for uh, Mesut Ozil to score. Just about to score. But amazing. He's just so fantastic to watch. And it's great to see stories like that, isn't it? Because people get so invested in, in transfers and spending big money on players. And I get it completely. I understand it 
It's great when you sign a player. It's great when you sign a big-name player. It's great when you spend a lot of money and that player turns out to be really good. But it's also fucking great when someone like Bellerin or Coquelin comes along and has the same kind of impact. Maybe not so much because the the big money uh, is spent on forward players, but but Coquelin and and Bellerin, brilliant. Just great stories. Uh, You know, it's thoroughly enjoyable and it kind of keeps that part of football alive a bit. That not every team has to be built through through huge spending. So I enjoyed that. And obviously I enjoyed the fact that we beat Bayern Munich 2-0. Keeping our Champions League hopes alive? Who knows where it might go? I don't know. But you've got to look at results like this and, and think of the benefits beyond the three points that you get in a Champions League campaign. You know, you've got to look at how you've beaten the best team in Europe, basically. That gives you confidence and belief. We've beaten big teams this season. We're going to talk about that now in a moment, but we've beaten Bayern Munich, and from that we should take a lot. I don't think it's um, very far wide of the mark that Arsene Wenger was talking about consistency a couple of weeks ago, that that was the challenge for his team. It's not necessarily quality, because we've seen them um, beat big teams in 2015, and that was, a, that was an issue. That was something we couldn't do. We've done that. Now it's consistency. It's finding the the overall performance against Bayern Munich and also against teams who don't necessarily have that kind of stature. The same approach, the same uh, commitment, the same motivation. That's where we got to find our thing. But look, overall, thoroughly enjoyable to, uh, to play like that, to win like that, uh, to see the players come together like that. Uh, great atmosphere. Perfect. That's what you need. Now do it again and again and again and again and so on. But look, why don't we talk about this game a little bit more? Because I think we should. We should live it a bit more because, you know, it doesn't happen very often that you have a, a big night like that in Europe. It certainly hasn't happened often this season. Uh, so let's uh, let's chat about it a bit more with our guest this week. Always delighted to welcome back to the Arscast, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hello, Andrew. Um, we should start with that small, small event on Tuesday night, I guess. The uh, the 2-0 win over Bayern Munich. Arsenal had to win to keep the Champions League hopes alive. Uh, and they did. And it was great. Do you know what was interesting? At the at the beginning, and I, I watched the game um, in the crowd uh, rather than on, on a work um, position. Mm. And in the first couple of minutes, I sort of looked around and noticed that there wasn't that sort of huge, edgy tension that you get with a massive game. So I think a lot of people went with quite low expectations. <laughs> and because of that, it created a quite different dynamic to that time when you can sense the, the, the nervousness of the crowd. And I think that sometimes spreads through to the players. There was just a sort of slightly almost relaxed atmosphere at the beginning of the game mm. um, oh, not from the players I might add I think that the, the, the level of concentration that they showed was was remarkable um, which they needed to show to to sort of deal with that 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 Bayern passing style I mean it was a weird sense of probably imagining what sometimes it feels for other teams that play against Arsenal when Arsenal do that passing thing for ages and ages and ages and they're just trying to hang on and see if they might get something on the break it was sort of a strange inverse of what sometimes happens to Arsenal yeah. uh, but but just going back to this this atmosphere in the crowd I, I think it was um, quite helpful in a way because it just didn't have that same sense of even though it was a must win I don't think people went there 
with the, the the kind of knots in your stomach type of I think I might go through hell if this all goes wrong sense. And therefore, when it all started to go, you know, quite well, and particularly when the goal came, there was this this sort of explosion of uh, of of real unexpected bonus territory pleasure, um, which is what made for. I think a lot of people have, have said it was a re- it was a the last quarter of an hour or so the the ground was um, uh, was rocking like it doesn't normally. Yeah. So that kind of added to the whole sense of the event. I think part of, uh, quite apart from obviously what, what went on on the pitch. Yeah, and you you talked about concentration and discipline and organisation and when you're playing a team like. Uh, I was going to say Barcelona there because, I mean, it was like playing Barcelona to a certain extent, obviously because of the, the Guardiola connection, but that kind of relentless passing and you're you're under the caution. There were moments when we did get the ball back, perhaps maybe in the first 20, 25 minutes where we tried to do too much too quickly with it. Um, I guess the, the, the plan was to try and catch them on the break and to use the pace of Walcott. Uh, but it does take a huge, huge amount uh, of discipline and concentration. And I think uh, maybe the last time you were on, we spoke about having people like Petr Cech and Per Mertesacker in the team, these experienced heads who have been there and done that and who can uh, even subliminally spread this kind of cam throughout the team and I think that was quite evident uh, on Tuesday as well yeah and, I'm, and I think in some ways you you probably feel some human sympathy for Ospina and that there's such an obvious um, contrast between uh, the feelings at the end of the uh, Olympiacos game uh, and the feelings at the end of the Bayern game and the and the fact that the performance of the goalkeepers in those two games seemed to spread an incredibly big sense of what what was going on generally. And I think that was where, that was the game, Czechs being apart from the first game against West Ham, really very, very good. Uh, quite quietly, because there's funny enough not been that much sort of almost hype really. Mm. Once Perhaps that was because of what happened in the opening game against West Ham and it just changed people's expectations slightly. But... Certainly, in the last three or four games, I mean, three clean sheets in a row with uh, with the Man United game and, and then Watford and, and Bayern. He he spreads this calmness that is reminiscent, I think, of David Seaman, um, and that idea that the defense just has that little extra security blanket that I think can allow them to relax more than they would do if they have a keeper they're not quite so confident in. Yeah. It was very evident. As was his quality, um, though, in terms of the, the, the saves that he made. I uh, mean, the, uh, the one that he, he made from, from Lewandowski just uh, 90 seconds before we actually scored. I mean, that's as big a save as you can expect any goalkeeper to make. And, and in such a big game, you're talking about what was defined as an absolute last chance saloon must-win Champions League game. Yeah. To pull off a save like that at nil-nil at home knowing how things would have gone if that had gone in it's a, you know it's just a testament to the qualities that Arsenal brought in and um you talk about his connection with Mertz I, I think there's something that you could argue I mean Arsenal gets and has got over the years lots of stick for the defensive minded element of what he does and this perception that he doesn't do defending and I think everybody acknowledges that he'd much rather do attacking but <laughs> After the Bayern game, it occurred to me that 
it looked like suddenly all the pieces were in place that he's really built another great defence. Um, obviously, when he arrived with the old Arsenal back four left by George Graham, it was a gift from God, uh, so to speak, <laughs> um, for any manager. And then to sort of remould the entire back line for the invincible season. But really, when you look at um, the way that obviously Koscielny and, and, and Mertesacker have this fantastic sort of brotherhood almost in the way that they play and their their telepathic sort of understanding and way of helping each other out and complementing each other. Monreal has evolved into possibly the best left back in the league yeah. um, consistency wise for sure. Uh, Bellerin is astounding in his development for his age. And then you have Coquelin in front and Czech behind. And all of a sudden, as a kind of whole unit, with the bat for the goalie and the defensive midfield player, and you could add the, the intelligence of Kazula alongside that and the work that he does. Suddenly, you think, well, this is a this is a really great defence. Um, There's so a, a platform. Probably the manager deserves more credit than that than he might get. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is criticised for, and he has made some very dodgy decisions and purchases in those areas. But every single one of those players. Um, uh, you know he's brought he's brought into the club. Um, you know some of them unknown, Monreal and Koscielny in particular, and he's given a brilliant chance to to someone like Bellerin. And just before we started, I was talking about the the timing issue, and that you know if, for example, uh, Matthew Debuchy hadn't become injured. Uh, last season, he probably would have consolidated his position as the number one right back. And if Ramsey and Wilshire and Arteta and, and Flamini hadn't got injured last season, Coquelin, who knows where he might be now? So there's there's a there's a nice part of timing and and how football can 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 offer up these nice surprises in a world of fifty eighty million pound signings. These guys can be just as effective. Well, these are the sliding doors moments in football, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I went along in the afternoon before the the Bayern game to see Arsenal against Bayern at uh, under-19 level um, in the UEFA Youth League, which is the effectively the junior Champions League that's, that they've started running. And, um, you know, you look at one or two of the, the players coming through that age group, Iwobi scored a couple of great goals and he obviously made his impression in pre-season as well. There's a couple, um, Jeff, who I know you've uh, got fondness for, um, <laughs> who's out in Chile with Chris Willock as well for England and various others, Dan Crowley on loan, uh, Zella Lem on loan. These are all of that age group, sort of, you know, the next the next generation that you might wonder if one or two will come through. And looking at them, you can't help wondering again, unless it's, it's something that's exceptional of, of, say, a Fabregas coming through where Arsene Wenger lo- looks at a kid of 17 and thinks, well, I'm finding room for you, full stop, or an Elka or whoever. Yeah. Um, for the rest of them who have that potential, possibly, it might well come down to a, a sliding doors moment such as led to, to Coquelin and Bellerin getting that chance to and that exposure to show what they can do on the biggest stage consistently. Mm. We, we could call it a Silvino's passport moment, perhaps. <laughs> we could. <laughs> We might come back to the youth thing now in a, in a minute because uh, I know you're at that game and uh, uh, wrote a very good piece about it during the week. So I'll come back to that. But um, what, what what we've seen in 2015 from Arsenal since that Manchester City game when they went away and changed tactically, uh, the game plan was different for a big away game, uh, necessity being the mother of invention, perhaps. But since then, 
Arsenal's record in the big games has improved. I know we lost to Chelsea, but there were other factors involved there. So there's you know wins over Manchester United in the league and in the FA Cup, win over Tottenham in the in the uh, in the Capital One Cup. You know we've beaten Bayern Munich, we've beaten Liverpool comprehensively, um, and from time to time it feels like the players can't match the preparation or motivation. Uh, for the so-called lesser games, you might say. So is the challenge now, having built this platform, built this back four and a good goalkeeper and uh, spinally, you might say, we're as strong as as, uh, as we have been in, in quite a while, is the challenge now to be able to almost tap into the player's subconscious? Because I don't believe that they they switch off or they don't take games seriously on purpose. I just think there's a natural inclination to look at some opponents as more difficult than others and, and you you tend to up your game a little bit. So is the challenge now to try and replicate that in all the games? You know, in some ways it sounds ridiculous, but the biggest challenge that Arsenal face over these next few weeks is is just fitness. Mm. It's about keeping that, that core 11 plus the five or six sort of best standings um, uh, f- fit and at the top of their game physically as well as mentally. And that's the, that's the huge risk. You know, everybody knows that if something happens to Sanchez or something happens to Coquelin, you know, there's particular positions where there really isn't somebody particularly to step in. Um, even if something happens to Czech, I think that's very much the case as well. Um, is it, That's going to be the the critical probably element to how far this team can go because they now know that they can tackle various different types of challenges. They, they're not going to win every game because no, you know, no team ever does. Um, but I mean, it were pretty close. Let's be honest, coming up to yeah. game in midweek and they're a fine, fine football team Bayern. And I think one of the things that was amazing about that match, it, it, when you're looking at the way Arsenal handled it was you talk about the discipline and concentration they needed. It also needed a lot of courage to say we're going to let you have the ball for that amount of time, mm. people, are, lots of people were going, close them down, close them down. People all around were screaming, like, press, get, it, get into them. <laughs> and there was this sense of, like, people couldn't quite fathom, and it's totally understandable why Arsenal appeared to be letting Bayern Munich have all the time in the world to put their pass. And for a team as good at, at, at passing as, as they are, it, you know, it felt incredibly risky territory. But it did appear to be part of the master plan. Um, you know, you look at the way they p- approached the Man United game where Arsenal were totally on the front foot and it was about the sort of blitz of the first 20-odd minutes or so which set up that platform and then being able to hold on to that. Uh, the game at Leicester was a completely different type of game where it was, you know, all-out attack, we'll outscore, you know, another very attacking team. The Watford one was about being very, very patient uh, where, and wearing down the opposition and then be, and then having the intelligence and the energy to do the damage at the end. And then obviously the Bayern game was about this this kind of almost counterintuitive letting a great team have all the ball. Um, but just I think Arsenal felt confident enough in their defensive concentration that if they effectively stopped it from getting to Lewandowski that they could, they would, felt that they could pass more or less as much as they wanted. Whether that's got a lot to do with the fact that obviously players like Robin and Ribery were absent and it might have needed a different game plan if there was a sense that Bayern had more uh, more finishers mm. um, in that in their in their makeup might have been different. But 
it, it looked like it was a perfect plan, perfectly executed. But uh, previous games have shown different plans. So that's quite an interesting thing that Arsenal has seemed to have added to their their own resources. Sure. Because for years, people have, in some ways, quite rightly said, Arsenal are, are plan A and nothing else. And uh, now there seems to be just a few variations to that plan. How do we look at Olivier Giroud and his contribution recently? If we talk about Arsenal having a plan B, he has kind of been a plan B. And I don't mean in the sense that he's been chucked on with, with desperation, because that hasn't been the case really. But when he has come off the bench, he's scoring with decent regularity. Is it down to him being a bit fresher? Because I think he's one of those guys that when he is physically fresh, he's much more dangerous. There have been times when he's been played to the point where his effectiveness has been blunted. But, you know, coming off the bench, obviously he's not as tired. He's maybe taking advantage of slightly tired opposition. Uh, but on top of that, his response as a player to losing his place to Theo Walcott has been fantastic. Yeah, creditable. Um, yeah, I don't know what he thinks when he's at home, but um, publicly he's not complained. He's just vowed to get his head down and, and, and work to do his part for the team. It will be really interesting to have the kind of conversation. Uh, it often happens with older players where they get towards the end of their career and a manager more or less has to sit them down and say, right, things are going to be a bit a bit different now. You're still incredibly valuable. Mm but you might not be starting every game. You'll still get plenty of games, you'll still get plenty of starts and you'll still get plenty of action from the bench. But the way you're going to be played and, and the status, if you like, that you have within the, the team is slightly different. Wenger is a, a, a master at making everyone in the squad, even the bit part players, feel involved, um, uh, very much part of... Of, of everything and, and wants them to feel ready and committed whenever they're called upon. That's something that the great successful teams of the past, the players all noted that, how important it was that if somebody was out injured, that, some, that the player coming in didn't feel like, oh, well, it's just my turn because so-and-so's injured, but was really up for it uh, and felt included all the way through the, the season. Um, I can't imagine that Wenger will be having that conversation with Juru, but there is an element to say maybe this is what he has to uh, um, adapt to slightly in his own expectations. But if he takes it the right way, he can still be a hugely effective um, player for Arsenal. I mean, obviously coming off the bench, it looks like he's a, he's a fantastic super sub. Mm. I'm sure that tiring defenders would not want him coming on in the last 15 minutes of the game to face, especially if you've been facing a quite different kind of challenge previously. Uh, with, the, with with Walcott and Sanchez and the different kind of game that that goes on with with that being more the attacking focal point, um, I'm. But I'd be amazed if he didn't still get a, a, a pretty healthy amount of starts this season. It may well be there'd be certain games that Arsene selects him in because he just thinks that physical power is needed or height for defense, defending set pieces is needed, and so on and. You know, Walcott might not necessarily be fit and 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 in the in the cycle of scoring every match as well. So it's all a bit. There's a quite healthy competition in a way because th although I think it looks like Walcott's edged in front at the moment, I don't think it's that clearly defined yet. So keeping them both highly motivated and mm. hungry, and if they're both scoring goals and, and some start and some uh, the other time you, you come on, it's not that terrible a situation. No, I mean, I, t I agree with you there. And I don't think Walcott has got it nailed down. But I think what's interesting is that 
so far this season we've seen perhaps Walcott has added a little extra dimension to his game so that if you are, for example, having to bring him on late in a game when you are trying to get a goal and you're playing against a packed defence, typically you would say that was not his strength because getting in behind and using his pace has, has always been where he's best. But this season he has shown that he's capable of popping up in the penalty area even if there's plenty of people in there. Yeah, and I think what probably gives him the edge at the moment is in recent games, it feels like a faster Arsenal when Walcott is is uh, leading the line. Mm. Just feels like there's a, a, a bit more fizz and zip about the whole way that the, the, the team moved the ball. Um, you know, Arsene said it the other day anyway. He said, look, we, we have to play a certain way when Walcott's playing. When Giroud is playing, we have the option of going in the air, which we just don't have when Walcott's on the pitch mm. or, or not or in, in that centre forward role. So it just is, a, it's a, that was a different challenge to the players. I think they know they have to play um, a different kind of football when it's Walcott. But when they have Giroud, it's not to say that they can be lazy, but I think they know that they can get themselves out of trouble by just banging it up to up yeah. to Giroud. And they they don't they can't even really try that when Walcott's playing. So they're all it, the whole team is sort of developing at the moment with with this with these slightly different options and new ways of playing. All right, well, it's healthy, uh, and so long as they stay healthy, it'll remain that way, I think. So, look, let's move on to um, to the to what was happening at youth level, and you were there uh, to watch the, the young guys beat Bayern Munich 2-0, hanging out with Ian Wright. Wow, well, <laughs> not to. Um, was he there in a work capacity, or was he just there to watch the game? He, he wandered down because he wanted to check it out, and uh, good for him, you know. Yeah, that's pretty I, cool, I, isn't it? A nice, one of the nice things about... Uh, about the club that people still want to see what's going on and he's you know makes no bones about the fact that he's an Arsenal man and I think he wanted to go and see how the boys were getting on against a, you know an, a really interesting opponent in Bayern Munich at youth level mm. um, but is uh, anybody who lives in the area highly recommend it it was, it was fantastic it's free uh, it's not even one penny to go and watch the uh, under-19s in, in their Champions League matches so get yourselves down to Boreham Woods it's a it's great fun, good atmosphere, stand on a terrace, uh, and uh, yeah, highly recommended. All right. Well, look, uh, you wrote a piece then following that, talking about Thierry Henry, and we know that he's there doing his his badges, and uh, some interesting words from Andreas Jonker saying uh, he's it's his ambition to invest in his own future as a coach. Uh, I've started to work with him on... Uh, found out he's really, really motivated to developing himself as a coach. And I was listening to Football Weekly uh, this week, and uh, you were talking about something that occurred to you, and you weren't saying that this was what was going to happen, or, or nobody had mentioned that to you, but the idea of uh, Thierry Henry as, as manager of Arsenal at some point in the future. I mean, what's um, what's the feeling about what Henry is doing uh, at youth level Alex Iwobi, his quote was like, I've, I've learned from coaches and all due respect to them, uh, none of them are Thierry Henry, so I'm learning from the best. So there's an element of what of his reputation rubbing off on, on those young players. It, absolutely, but I also think from, from Thierry Henry's point of view, the reputation is almost not what he's interested in. He mm. really wants to know if he's got it as a coach and that's nothing to do with what he was like as a player and everything to do with 
his communication of ideas and skills and um, tactics, te- techniques, you name it, uh, pressure, how to deal with everything to the players. Uh, I think he's really enjoying the opportunity. Um, I like the fact that Andres Jonker said that he's doing more than he needs to do for his coaching badges. I think there are certain requirements that you have to fulfil in order to tick that box as part of the, the, the coaching criteria. But Thierry wants to be, you know, he's obviously got his media commitments, but around that he wants to be at the club working with the young players more or less as much as he physically can. Um, so that tells you something about it. And, and Thierry, I think what interests me is Thierry as a, as a guy is someone who it's in his nature to, you know, to really want to try his best to be the best or to be as best as he can be. Mm. And I think that that was evident in his playing career. And I suspect that that's a driving force in, in what he does or what he wants to attempt to find out how much he wants to do in coaching. Yeah. Can he, does he feel confident in himself that he can become a good enough coach to be operating at the top level? And I, I, I suspect that's really a lot of what all this is about. Yes, he's doing what he's got to do to get his badges, but it's also he's challenging himself in the experience. And we'll go away and have a think and probably a talk with Arsene and various other people that he respects or, or that he's working with along the way just to suss out, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. And, you know, I'm, am I right for it? Um it was very, very. He looks pretty relaxed. I mean, obviously, it's it's not a high pressure at the moment with the the under nineteens. It's about developing players and not so much about results. But you know, out there on in his Arsenal tracksuit on the pitch before the game, giving the players little words of advice here and there. He he looks the part, but he looks very relaxed with it. And uh, Iwobi was saying that he you know, has a laugh and a joke with him, but he definitely knows when to be serious as well. Yeah. Um. And. I mean, you know, when I, when I <laughs> propose this notion that I think that he might one day be, you know, our Arsenal manager, that's, I have to I have to stress that's just based on absolutely nothing <laughs> that I've, uh, other than my own imagination. So um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't uh, I, w- I would imagine people coming around to me going, oh, what an idiot thinking that possibly mm-hmm. in a few years time. But, or, or you know, it's just, it's just an, a, a thought that's based not just on what I think he's potentially capable of doing, but the esteem that the club hold him in. And whatever happens when the time comes that Arsene decides he no longer feels it's right for him to be the Arsenal manager, it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody to walk straight into that role. Yeah. Which is where I wonder whether having someone like Thierry, who if he fulfills his badges and is ready to take a step up and maybe work with the first team for, uh, you know, another year or so and, and, and see how that develops. It might be a appropriate time. And I think from the club's point of view, an appropriate person to hand over the baton. Big shoes to fill. Yeah, but I think Thierry, I don't think Thierry would be frightened of that. Um, and interesting stuff happening then at youth level as well. Some youth coaches, um, Ryan Gary, who was a former player as well, uh, has has worked his way up along. He was doing, I think, under thirteens, wasn't he? And he's he's moving on up the, the the levels there. And Liam Brady back to keep an eye on some of the the players who are out on loan. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been quite a lot of changes over the past couple of years in, in youth development. Um, obviously, when Andres came, Andres Younger came in, it was somebody very new after 
a long time with the same setup and naturally he's going to have his own ideas um some of them are probably going to be quite different to what's happened before and i don't think it's been the easiest period of of um transition uh, you know some people find it a big challenge when they're asked to do things differently um he's a straight straight talking dutchman so you you know you're in in the typical way of the of the of the dutch you're either going to be happy to 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 talk straight back or some people might get rubbed up the long, the wrong way um so i think it's been a bit of a um a bit of a a challenging period all round but uh, you know arsenal have to have the courage of their convictions um in in moving forward to to making the youth development the best it can be and they know that in arsenal Wenger they have a manager who will promote the young players he believes in, albeit with those Sylvania passport moments or whatever you want to call it, for, for the opportunities to come knocking. Um, and, and I think that's something that even when Arsene does eventually uh, hand over to the next manager, that they'll want to um, they'll want to sustain. I think that's part of what, when Ivan Gazidis, whenever he talks about Arsenal, which we presume is on behalf of Stan Kroenke, um, I, you get the feeling that they're very. They've got certain strands of the development of the club, and of you know buying the best, recruiting the best players that they can is part of it, and promoting from within is a very strong part of it as well. And I think they'll want to, they'll want to keep that as strong as possible moving forward. Interesting stuff all round, and an interesting week. And um, let, let's hope it continues in this uh, very nice, interesting way. Amy, great stuff as always. <laughs> Cheers, Andrew. Always fun to talk to Amy. You know where to find her on Twitter, at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71. Make sure you give her a follow. We've got a game against Everton coming up tomorrow. Yeah, tricky game after what we did in midweek. Are we tired? Are we injured? Are we what? We'll get team news and all that kind of stuff coming up in a few moments' time. But right now, a bit of this. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Winger! What is going on? You started this season in fine style with a 2-0 defeat to West Ham. Then our European adventures, or should I say misadventures, against Dinamo Zagreb and Olympiakos suited me down to the ground. But now we're beating Manchester United with scintillating, exciting, pacey football, and then you go and beat Bayern Munich, only the best team in Europe, at home to keep your Champions League hopes alive? You are making it very difficult for me to be angry! And that makes me so angry! Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit! There you go. Welcome back. So, no rest for the wicked, or indeed for Arsenal. A game against Everton this weekend, then there's Capital One Cup next week, and there's it's just football, football, all the time, until... The next interlull, of course. But getting into that interlull in good shape is going to be important. We've lost two players who won't be back until the far side of the next international break. David Ospina, he missed the game against Bayern Munich, having returned from international duty with Colombia with a shoulder injury, which means he's not going to play 
until late November, apparently. Uh, And Aaron Ramsey, of course, who did his hamstring against uh, Bayern Munich the other night after about an hour, having run his hole off against Bayern and run his hole off against Watford, something had to give, and unfortunately, it was his hammy. So he's out as well until after the international break. So what does the manager do in terms of his solution to that? Because he is going to have to manage his squad, whether we like it or not, whether you say you've got to put your best team out every single game. The reality is, if you do overplay players or if they're playing too regularly or don't have the right uh, rest in the middle, then you're going to pick up injuries like Ramsey's. Um, So options for the right-hand side. Obviously, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was the man who was thrown on against uh, Bayern the other night, so he seems the obvious choice to do that. Whether he's going to dovetail with Bellerin remains to be seen. Theo Walcott, I wonder if he remains an option for the right-hand side or if he's just going to use Walcott as a central striker from now on. Because what he could do, obviously, is play Olivier Giroud as the main striker and use Walcott from the right-hand side and maybe use Oxlade-Chamberlain from the left if he needs to give Alexis a rest. Because he did mention Alexis Sanchez after the after the Bayern game and he said he pushes himself too much. Um, and after the international break he had playing two games with, with, uh, with Chile, he said it's too much. So... He's obviously a hugely important player, and I'd be very surprised if he rested him for the game against uh, Everton at the weekend. We do have four days between the fixtures to get people back up and running and get them massaged and everything else. Uh, it would be a surprise, but he is going to have to rest him for the uh, Capital One Cup game. You know, you just can't go there and play uh, Alexis and Ozil and these guys. You've got to rotate your squad a little bit to uh, uh, to keep things fresh. But for Saturday... He's got to play Alexis, isn't he? From the left, he has to. As to the form he's in. Everton, uh, coming into the game after a bad result against Manchester United, uh, in some ways you might look at that and say, well, yeah, they're not in great form. That's good. On the other hand, though, we know what it's like losing 3-0. You really want to prove yourself in the next game. You redouble your efforts. You're super motivated. You're highly charged. And uh, it's always a difficult game against Everton. As we know, last season was a particularly difficult game, but one that was brightened by the fact that we were sitting behind the NBC commentators and ended up all over American television, if you remember. Apologies once again if you've heard any inappropriate language from behind us here at the Emirates Stadium, which may be offensive. Incidentally, we apologise for any language that may have offended that you might have heard in the background. Sadly, I won't be there with my uh, tiny friend to, uh, to entertain the people of North America. But hey, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But this game gives us a chance to go top of the table because there is the the Manchester Derby taking place on Sunday, which should be quite tasty indeed. Looking forward to that. And if we can beat Everton, then we go top of the table for at least some hours, which is good. Start as you mean to go on kind of thing. You know, it'd be good to get up there. But it is going to be tough. We did put a lot into what happened on Tuesday night. There was a huge amount of effort and endeavor went into that game. So it's whether or not we can get the uh, the bodies fit and recovered and get the minds in the right place and motivated. You'd like to think at home, the way we've been playing, confidence and everything else that we take from recent results and recent performances uh, it should be enough to get us to three points so let's um, let's keep fingers crossed for that we will of course discuss that game on the Arscast Extra on Monday myself and James will be here looking back over what happened at the weekend and looking ahead to the Capital One Cup game whenever that is Tuesday or Wednesday should have looked that up but one of those days we'll worry about that next week so uh, look we'll leave it there for this week's Arscast thank you very much indeed for listening remember if you do like the show you could give us a rating or a review on 
on iTunes. That would be very much appreciated. Uh, I'll catch you on Monday with the Arscast Extra. Back again with another Arscast next week. Uh, let's keep fingers crossed for three points. Come on, you gunners. Until the next one, cheers. Bye-bye. Hello? Yeah, I'm calling about my internet connection. I, I want to make a complaint. What is wrong with it? Well, just the other day, I was trying to go on my favourite racism forum, and it took ages for the page to load. I got so bored, I had to make do with some mild racism from the Daily Mail instead. Frankly, this is not acceptable. Well, I don't think that kind of attitude is right. I would go so far as to say that your internet service is weak and naive. I mean, what I say is weak and naive. Yes, I know what those words mean. Yes, I am a Chelsea fan. How do I do that, then? Do you have a manual I can download? Why would I need a manual to go and fuck myself? Oh, oh, you think you're so smart. You're weak and naive, and if I ever get hold of you, I'll... Hello? Hello? Now, I feel weak and naive. Oh.